Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hi friends, welcome again to Engage 360 at Denver Seminary. We are glad you've chosen to spend a little bit of time with us. My name is Don Payne, your host, and looking forward to, forward to another uh, interesting conversation today. Let me ask you first this question. What will the church be like with the generations that will populate it, or perhaps not, in the coming years? Uh, this conversation point keeps coming up again and again with church leaders and with those who study religious trends. Demographers, other social scientists have kept themselves really busy over the last few years studying the generations, particularly the younger generations and their religious beliefs and spiritual inclinations, their understanding of spirituality, the ways they pursue it, their attitudes and expectations toward God and toward the church. Well, the overall results we receive from lots of publications and research centers can be pretty depressing on the whole. However, that is not the whole story. And our guest today is going to offer a bigger, more hopeful picture, still very realistic. Uh, Here's the backstory. A few years ago, Denver Seminary was awarded a grant from the Lilly Endowment to study these trends. We called it the Kaleo Project. And when that grant ended, we were awarded a follow-up grant that we called the Young Adult Initiative 2.0 to help distribute the results of the first study for the benefit of the seminary and the church at large. Now, both of these research grants have been directed by Dr. Haley Gray Scott, who is a theologian, an experienced author, and an increasingly respected voice in these matters. Uh, This is actually her second appearance on Engage 360. So, Haley, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. It's always good to have a conversation with you. Haley has a very recent book out. It's not her only book, but her most recent is called Not a Hopeless Case. It is a Zondervan publication from this year, 2023. Now, Haley describes herself as a a former nun who is passionate about learning how to reach those who are like she once was in spiritual darkness. Maybe first you could give us a brief review and overview of some of your key findings from that first grant. All right, sure. Um, Well, we did do, we ended up over a course of five years, we ended up conducting over 500 interviews with young adult and young adult leaders, 100 uh, focus groups, and that resulted in more than 10,000 pages of data that I went through and um, started to, you know, whenever you have this qualitative data interviews and things like that, you start to hear the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And what that becomes is it becomes a matter of listening to the key themes. Those things became the key themes. And what we found were um, six key questions that young adults are asking the church right now. Um, The first is, am I alone and unloved? Um, A lot of young adults, they are feeling the impact of loneliness. There are many, many, many what we call quantitative studies. And just as a side note, the difference between a quantitative study is someone will send out a survey 
and a person will fill out that survey and send it back. A qualitative qualitative data is where you sit with individuals and you conduct face-to-face interviews, you analyze body language, you're able to follow up on anything that may be happening um, in in your discussion, and you're better able to identify story. You're better able to get more quality information. Well, I I would say that you're better able to dive deeper into the story that um, quantitative surveys might tell you. Yeah, because they're only going to generate numbers or or brief answers. Right. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so you don't really know what the answer is behind that. And we know um, that some of these are not always reliable because people tend to, especially Christians, tend to answer aspirationally, meaning they answer their questions in ways that they wish they were rather oh, than that's really interesting. what they actually are. So yeah. like if you're doing the MMPI, which is the Minnesota Inventory of Personality, mm-hmm. um, Christians have scored high on deception and that is because they're answering like i want this is what i want to be i want to be like jesus i want to be like that um rather than actually answering who they are and so it can be kind of tricky and that's why more and more uh people are relying on qualitative um information with interviews observations and that's where this is drawn from yeah i want to come back to that in a in a moment but Keep going. Yeah, these, these yeah. questions, these key questions. So you question number one, am I alone and unloved? Um, loneliness is on the rise. Um, people are not feeling connected. Um, despite the rise in social media, people are feeling more lonely than ever. Um, question number two is, am I broken beyond repair? Mm. There are so many young adults that are struggling with anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, maybe they're struggling with previous sexual assault um, instances, they are uh, struggling with suicidal ideation and or addiction, and they feel broken. Yeah, the, that beyond repair piece is really arresting. It is, and it's, can I be fixed or can I not be fixed? Okay. And there is the sentiment among young adults that I can't be fixed. And so that is, that is perhaps one of the guiding um, emotions behind the rising uh, numbers of suicides that we have today. Um, am I broken beyond repair? And just the desperation and the hopelessness that... Um, entails that that comes with that Mm. question um the third question is where do i belong so if one of the reasons young adults have sort of pivoted away from the church is because the way that we've structured our classes for so long is okay we we can go and do children's ministry through sixth grade then we have junior high then we have high school, and then a lot of young adults express, well, then we're just kind of thrown out there into life, and there's 
nothing for us. We might have a college ministry, but it's really not the same cohesive group that we had in the beginning. And um, then once we get done with college, we may not be married. Um, Demographics have changed. People used to get married earlier. And now I believe the last time I checked that age has moved to about 27. So you have about a good five year period where people are not, you know, they're not married, they're not, they don't have kids. And so they have a hard time fitting into a church because they, the church instantly goes from, if they do have a college ministry, they go directly to some kind of married uh, class. Even those with um, active singles ministries, does that not factor in somewhere? um, The singles ministry, the way people have responded to singles ministry and and it sounds like when i describe how people have answered it sounds like they're being extremely picky but i don't get that impression when i'm talking to them but they say with singles ministry it feels more like they're going on e-harmony or something the singles group or like feels, going to a singles bar or just yes yeah so they're just going to find a husband okay um so that's what the singles group ends up feeling mm. like and they that they feel like their singleness is not what needs to be addressed they need something that is more comprehensive like they are they should not be reduced to their singleness okay and when they are reduced to singles or if it's called the singles class then it feels like the dating game then it's a it's a pickup bar right right which makes them very uncomfortable yeah because sure they're not necessarily looking for that. They're looking for um, some way to connect spiritually because they know that there's something missing in their life, but they don't exactly know where to find it. So that is the question uh, three. Question four is, can I trust Christian leaders? And this one is really difficult because um, throughout the duration of our study, we not only dealt with um, immorality among pastors um, in the churches that we worked with, but also this, you know, was, you know, conducted during the Me Too years or just immediately following the Me Too years and the Church Two years, and there were still investigations going on. So they feel like or at least the people that I spoke with, I don't want to generalize to everybody, but, you know, they look at the leaders that we have on the political stage. They look at the leaders that we have in our communities, and then they're trying to find a strong leader that that's trustworthy, a, a leader that they can rely on. And so when they see the failures of Christian leaders, um, it is really discouraging. And I would say that not most of the pastors didn't have these problems, but the ones who do cast a long shadow over everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They have a sort of disproportionate effect on other people uh, because of the profile and maybe other reasons as well. But I would imagine that one of the points of misgiving from young adults is not not only that they're looking for or trying to find leaders who are trustworthy, but they're probably wondering, how would I know whether somebody is trustworthy if they're not 
you know, um, closely accessible to me, if I don't know their lives, how would I know? How, right. how am I supposed to trust somebody? That's true, especially in larger churches where um, leaders now, the may The relational be, distance is, yep. is greater. Yes. And, you know, there's more people in between you and the person that's actually maybe on stage teaching you. So that is the problem that um, that they really struggle with mm. and that they really bring up is how are we to trust what they say if their life is not in accordance with what they say. Um, there is a song that used to mean a lot to me when I was coming back to the church, and it said, um, it's by Grover Levy, I what a name, but he says, um, your life is speaking so loud, I can't hear a word you say. Yeah. And that has always been very powerful for me as I've thought about, you know, the behavior of Christian leaders. And um, one of the reasons why I think that the adjustments we need to make is considering character over charisma. Um, it's easy to pick a leader and reasonable even t- in some ways to pick a leader who can engage, who tells good stories, who just has this magnetism that draws people and you want to listen to them and you want to believe them. And, uh, and yet we have not evaluated their character or their relationship with Christ. Or yeah, and in some ways, that's, that's a difficult thing to evaluate if you don't know a person personally. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, the, the trouble with some of the elder, you know, when you're bringing on a new pastor, how do you know that the character of that person until you've spent a good deal of right. time with them? Right. So that's problematic. And question five is, can I ask hard questions? Um, I heard this from people who had been in church for a while. Um, I heard this from atheists and agnostics um, about, you know, the atheists and agnostic focus group that I ran said that one of the reasons they walked away from the church is because they felt like even if they asked a difficult question, they were in some way ostracized and they didn't, you know, and then people who were in church or trying to get back to church because they felt that need for to connect with spirituality, they wanted to ask the difficult questions, but didn't know how those questions would be received. So do you, I, this may be difficult to answer. I don't know, but I, I wonder whether that is more of a perception than a reality in many cases, because uh, even even the way you've described it, people sense that they can't ask difficult questions. I wonder, did you pick up on any on any indicators or any evidence that that people actually were asking hard questions and then were being you know actually ostracized or shut down, or were they just assuming on you know for the most part that this wouldn't be safe to do? I think it's I think it's both. I think that with some of the atheists and agnostics that I spoke with, they were ostracized from their communities for asking hard questions. Like if you don't accept our doctrine, then 
you're not going to be part of our community. Um, and then, so they ended up leaving the Christian faith altogether. Okay. With other people, I think that it is more of a perception. And yeah, it makes me wonder if they, how often they actually tried that. Well, you know, I did run a focus group, um, or not a focus group, a panel, and I had an audience of 50 pastors, and I had six young adults up on the panel, and they started talking about hard questions and saying, we can't ask hard questions, and they would not, I let them go on for 15 minutes on purpose, and then I said, do you realize that you've sat here for 15 minutes saying, I, I want to ask hard questions, and I'm, I'm angry that we can't ask hard questions at church. And I said, and you've not named a single hard question, <laughs> a, a single topic that you're talking about. And I said, why is that? And they said, we're just, we're scared to say anything. You know, we're, we're just scared. Where does that fear come from, do you know? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe it's just a reputation that the church has. Okay. And... I think that that's part of the the stereotypes that we have to face as Christians that we have to overcome Mm. um, because people have in their minds that um, we may not be as open or that we may be more dogmatic than we actually are, um, that we may not, and I, I don't like this word, but we don't provide safe spaces for them to ask their questions. Um, so we have that reputation preceding us okay. that we we may need to, you know, make extra effort to overcome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What were the other questions? I think you had a few more there that you had uncovered. Yeah. And then you know the final question that that they were actually verbalizing is uh, to the church is how are they making a difference? And the way that I um, often brought this to pastors is I would say, if your church closed down tomorrow, would your neighborhood notice? And if so, why? And if not, why not? Um, We had a church, um, Westside International, that was a church plant, you know, right from the very beginning of the project. And they had inherited a church from the Methodist church. And rather than the Methodist church, I applaud the Methodist church for doing this, but rather than selling the land for a great profit here in the Denver area, they gave this property to this new startup church. And when, from the very beginning, when they started, uh, you know, building their church, they reached out to neighbors. They went out into the neighborhood and said, hey, we're here. If you need something, you can come and get something. They offered holiday meals. It was in a poor neighborhood. Hmm. They were um, really trying to make an active uh, difference in their community in a variety of ways, and they still do that today. Okay, so that's a key question that young adults are asking about making a difference. They do. about the church making a difference or about whether they can make a difference personally? How are they, how's that question being framed? Well, it's, they're asking that of the church. They don't want to be part of a church that, where you just go and you sit and you listen to a sermon and then you leave. Because as some young adults have said to me, oh, well, I could just get that on a podcast. Yeah. They want to be part of a church that will help them 
make a difference? Because that is the unspoken question that I, it's, it's sort of my intuition. They didn't actually, no one actually verbalized this, but I saw it in their faces and I saw it and underlying their questions is how can I make a difference? Okay. Because okay. they're constantly bombarded with the news that's happening every day. And of course, news loves to publish what's negative happening. And that can be overwhelming for young adults. And so when you are in a position where there is so much going on, it gets to be the feeling where... You're like, if I can't do something, then I won't do anything. And that leads to a feeling of helplessness and despair. And I think they want to know how they can make a difference. And I think that the church has an opportunity to teach them how to do that. That's really interesting, Haley, because churches, I think, for a long time have emphasized getting involved and making a difference, but maybe... I'm thinking out loud here, but maybe the ways in which churches have done that have not gone as far as as would be really helpful. So, for example, to to speak rather uh, globally or or broadly about making a difference is is one thing that can can be inspirational, aspirational, but it doesn't always help us know in a more concrete, immediate sense what what steps can I take. What can I do in my immediate vicinity, my neighborhood, with my life and my gifts? Exactly. And I think this is where discipleship comes to be of, you know, extreme importance. Um, Because young adults, even though they want to make a difference, even though they desire to make a difference, they don't exactly know how to do that. Hmm. They've not been discipled in the way of, of service. And so it's... And sometimes, and I think that the church can come alongside and help young adults learn how to to connect their giftedness with the needs of the world in better ways. Okay. Okay. Um, I've spoken with um, people in England who are doing that very thing. They're helping young adults analyze their own lives. You know, and, and young adults will come to them with this sense of emptiness and unfulfillment and say, I want to do something with my life. I want to do something to help the world. I want to make a difference, but I'm not exactly sure how to do it. And so what they do is they help that person get from that point to the point where they're using their giftedness to make that difference. Okay. Yeah, you're making me think of the word cruciform. Uh, in, in the pattern of Christ and suffering and taking up one's cross, there is a distinctively gospel-oriented or Christian way of thinking about serving. Right. That it would not necessarily be shared by everybody, right? Correct. Yeah, so service is not service is not service. Right. Yeah, so the, yeah, the, the, the gospel does shape the ways in which we try to answer some of these questions or help young adults answer these questions. I think that's a, a really important continued exploration that uh, we all need to, to lean into. Yeah, you know, these questions are absolutely answerable by the church. And many of the churches that we uh, worked with stepped up to the plate. You know, for example, Am I Broken Beyond Repair? There was one church that um, brought in mental health groups 
where, you know, you could, young adults could join these small groups to whether or not they were struggling with anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. They were within the walls of the church, welcomed within the walls of the church, and they were put into small groups with people their own age to discuss this in support groups. So they weren't just shipped off or referred to a counselor um, because the way young adults describe it is that feels like the church is just pushing them off. It might make them feel like, oh, I'm not helpable. No one can help me. You know, I'm, I'm beyond the help of the church when that's actually totally not the case. Okay. And okay. so, you know, there were so many churches that rose to the occasion and were able to, to meet and answer these questions. Okay. Now, you call your book Not a Hopeless Case. Yes. Which implicitly suggests that this is a bit of a pushback against uh, broader currents of thought that are suggesting more hopelessness. Right. What's uh, what, what are you finding, what have you found in your research with young adults that is uh, giving more hope than many other studies would suggest there is? Well, that's one of my most passionate points is that because, and it's passionate for me because I have sat across from pastors with tears in their eyes and they have read those research reports saying nobody's coming back to church. There's the rising of the nuns. Only 30% of the people that, you know, that are going to come back to your church after the pandemic and they're weeping and they have put their lives into the gospel they have put their lives into what they believe to be their calling and they get that negative report and report after report after report and you could pull up reports from almost from every single day of new studies of the nuns and that overwhelming bad news is so disheartening and but it's not a hopeless case. And I'll give you an example. When I first started this study, I was sitting with a pastor and the pastor said, and I was wanting this church to be part of the study and because they fit within a certain demographic and because I really wanted them to be part of it. And the pastor said, there are no young adults here in this neighborhood. Why should I be part of this project if there are no young adults here? And if there are young adults here, they're not going to stay here because they can't afford to stay here. So why should I invest in them? And I was kind of taken aback by um, his perspective, but um, I just moved forward and was able to convince him to come on board. And at the end of the study, I conducted more than 20 focus groups with all of the different churches. And at that church, um, it was really not even, you know, you're, you're supposed to have 14 people max at a focus group. I went to the young adult group to conduct a focus group with that church, and there were over 50 young adults. Oh, that's great. In that group. The group that the pastor said there are no young adults here. There are 50 of them. And they were bright and they were smart and they had good questions and good feedback and I almost weep thinking about it now. I mean, I was almost on the verge of tears then 
because I was just like, wow, 50 people here. So they're there. They're there. They are there. They are not a hopeless case. Yeah, that's great. Haley, thanks. Thank you. Thanks for uh, spending time with us and for all the work, the years of work you're You've, you've done and, and are still in the process of doing. Still in the process. With the, uh, the second grant. So congratulations on the book. Um, Dr. Haley Gray Scott, want to commend her book to you again, Not a Hopeless Case by Zondervan. So get yourself a copy of that, especially if you are um, thinking about how you and your church can better minister to those who might otherwise uh, be marked by a lot of hopelessness or, or think that they're hopeless. They're not a hopeless case. Right. We're, um, we're glad that you've chosen to spend some time with us. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at our email address, which is podcast at denverseminary.edu. And as I regularly invite you, um, I'll continue to ask you to visit our website, denverseminary.edu, where you will find not only a lot of information about our various degree programs, some of which are, are newly revised and, and rebooted, but also just other resources that can benefit you, whether you're a student or not. Uh, thank you for your, uh, your interest in Denver Seminary, for your prayers, for your support of whatever type that is, whether you're a student or an alum, uh, a board member, uh, just, or someone who, who prays for us or who's heard about us. We're grateful for that and hope that we can be of service to you in whatever God has given you to do. Uh, one final note, you can always find uh, full written transcripts of our podcast interviews on our website. You go to the website, denverseminary.edu, and just do a search for Engage 360. That's all one word with no spaces. You can click on any episode and download a full written transcript if you want to go back to some conversation and, and follow up on that. Until we uh, have another chance to be with you, hope the Lord blesses you and keeps you. Take care, friends. <music>